Hearing God for myself, part seven, let's pray and jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the anointing. Father, thank you for giving me utterance. Father, I don't want it to be any opinion of mine. We don't care what man thinks. We want to know what you think and adopt our thinking to think like you. Father, thank you for giving each individual rhema here today. Special formula, special mix that each person would get what they absolutely need to hear to make their life a success, not just tomorrow, but through the rest of their time here on the planet. Thank you, Father, for helping us make course corrections in life. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your tender love. Amen. Romans 8 and verse 14. It's our jumping off scripture. We've been here for a while. Verse 14 says, For as many as are led, or in the Greek it says induced, which means to cause, to act by influence or intangible means, So as many as are influenced by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So, and I said this before, there's a lot of people I know in the body of Christ that aren't influenced by the Holy Spirit. Right? Mm -hmm. And so this says if they're not, then they're not sons. Well, what Paul does is make a distinction, and we'll read on, and we'll see that he makes a distinction between full-grown sons and children. In verse 15 it says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So you see, He makes a distinction between sons and children. Now, uh, look over here in John 1 and verse 12, because this will kind of... Because most people, we've been taught that that... Didn't you kind of have that feeling, even if you hadn't been taught it, it's been kind of implied that that child of God and son of God really means the same thing? There was never really any distinction that, you know, well, you're a child of God. Look over here in First John and verse, uh, not First John, but the Gospel of John, chapter one. And he's, we'll start in verse eleven. It said, "And he came into unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, you know, we're talking about Jesus, right? To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name." Now that word power, it really means the right. So it says, as many as received Jesus, He gave them the right to become the sons of God. Now, just because you have a right, does that... Now, listen. You know, when you turn 18 in this country and you're a citizen, you have the right to vote. Do you know on election day, you still got to show up to the ballot box with your registration card and all that in order to be a voter? Even though you have the right to be a voter from the time you turn 18. Does it just fall on you? No, you have to go do something to be a voter, to exercise that right any rights that we have. It's your right to become a full-grown son. He gave you the right to do it. I mean, most people, they don't exercise that right. We ain't even been taught about it. We didn't even know it existed. Well, that's not what we're about, though, because I want to hear God for myself, and in order to do it, I found out i got to be influenced and perceive whatever the Holy Spirit's telling me, because that's his number one way that he talks to us. In order to do that, I've got to exercise my right to become a son of God. I've got to be full-grown. I've got to spiritually grow up into that spot where I'm a full-grown son because now I can be influenced by the Spirit of God. Y'all following that? Mm-hmm. All right, go to the next one for me, man. Now we saw this over in Galatians 4. It said, Now I say that uh, as long as the heir is a child, he differs nothing from the servant, though he be lord of all. Listen, when you don't grow up, you're just like the butler or the maid or whatever. Yeah, you might be the legal owner of all the estate. But guess what? As long as you don't grow up, your child, you're underneath over, it says, tutors and governors. 
You're under the butler and the maid. They tell you what to do. Until the appointed time of the Father. Even we, even so we, when we were children, Paul said, when I was a child, I was under bondage, under the elements of the world. In bondage under the elements of the world. He was ruled by how the world does. How does the world do stuff? They look at stuff. They hear stuff. Then they run it through the thought process and they take facts. And, and what's it say over in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verse 7? It says we walk by faith and not by... Right. 1 Corinthians 3, in the Amplified, says this in verse 1. However, brethren, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual men, but as the non-spiritual. Men of the flesh, in whom the carnal nature predominates, as the mere infants in the new life in Christ, unable to talk yet. What he See, what we're seeing is a picture of in the spiritual mirrors the natural. Now, we've went over this a bunch of times. Think of a natural baby. How much influence do you have over a baby that doesn't talk yet? No. What do they do? Yeah, they cry, mess diapers, scream for food, right? There's not a real relationship going on there, is there? Yeah, you see what I'm, what we're seeing is a picture of you've got to do that spiritually grow up to the point where God can, the Father can do more than just change your pamper. Right. You, you follow me? Okay. Go to the next one. Verse 2 says, I fed you with milk and not solid food because you weren't ready or strong enough yet to be ready for it. And even now, you're not strong enough to be ready for it. For you are still unspiritual having the nature of the flesh and you're under the control of ordinary impulses. Now he's describing what that baby who can't talk yet looks like. If you're driven by ordinary impulses, you spiritually you're still a baby. For as long as there are envying and jealousy and wrangling and factions among you, are you not unspiritual and of the flesh? Behaving yourselves after a human standard and like mere unchanged men. That described most of the body of Christ. Most of us do stuff like unchanged men. We, do, we, we, we conduct our lives the same way that people aren't born again conduct their lives. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. I don't pay any of my neighbors on the street that aren't born again, and we pretty much have the same life. On the outside, if you look at it. Now, on the inside, that's what we're talking about now, though, right? What, kind, what, what, what is going on? Does the checkbook dominate me or do I dominate my checkbook? Does my body, you know, be dominated by sickness or do I dominate my body and run sickness off? See, that's the difference. When you start growing up spiritually, you dominate stuff. It doesn't dominate you. Are you all following that? Okay. Now, let's go back to Romans 8 and verse 1. It says this, now, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no guilt to them which are in Christ. Y'all heard that before, right? Then there's a caveat. I mean, I know a lot of people in Christ that have guilt. And, and everybody's just like, no, not me. You ever had guilt? After you were born again. Okay. This is, we're going to try and take care of that today. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So, if you're walking and you grow up spiritually and you walk according to your spirit and you're dominated by your spirit and influenced by the Holy Spirit, it says you won't have any guilt. But if you get in the flesh, if you act like the baby, you're going to have a, a big guilt trip. It didn't come from God. 
it came from two places. One, it says your heart condemns you. And then the other is outside forces, which we'll talk about later in a little while. And really, it's, it's other people. They'll try and guilt you into doing something. You ever have that? Your mom ever try to guilt you into doing something? <laughs> for, the law, for the law of the Spirit, that's a life in Christ, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, the written word, could not do, it was weak through the flesh. Remember, because the word is spiritual. So here's the thing. If you're walking in the flesh, you can't pull off what the word says to do. And then you get into guilt. Isn't that what happens? Because this, this is what happens. You'll see something in the Word, and it'll tell you that. And then you'll be like, well, I'm not pulling that off, but I believe the Word. So now you start feeling guilty. Because you're not doing what that thing said. Whatever it is, pick whatever one it is. It could be any, anything that you come across. And then we'll be like, Wow. I'll tell you one that gets me a lot of it says, oh, no man, nothing, except to love them. And then my credit card bills come in. You don't ever have to deal with that one? All right. Verse 3. This is for what the Word couldn't do, because it was weak in the flesh, the written Word. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness, the equity of God, the riches, honor, and life that is promised in the law, the word, might be fulfilled in us. Who walk, what? Not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, or they that are natural minded. They that are after the spirit mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is what? Death. We don't want to go there, do we? But to be spiritually minded, have a spiritual mindset, is life and peace. Because the natural mind, the carnal mind, is an enmity against God, because it's not subject or ruled by the law of God, neither can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot what? That's why you feel guilty. Because you don't you feel guilty if you ain't pleasing your mom? That's why that's how she throws the guilt trip on you. She lets you know that she's disappointed in you and your behavior to get you to feel guilty so that you'll change your behavior. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mom, don't you use that tactic? Occasionally. Occasionally. (laughs) Mike's like, whoa. Occasionally. Okay, so what happens is you think in your mind that God's disappointed in your behavior because you know that if you're walking according to the flesh that you're not pleasing Him. So now here comes the guilt. It's not from God. It's because you think that He's hammering you like your mama did. He's not. Alright, well, everybody's like, no, I don't know. Alright, come here. Look over here and uh, let's start in Hebrews 11. Because well, we're taking a whole different track now. This whole thing about pleasing God is where all of our guilt's coming from. Verse uh, six of Hebrews eleven says, "But without faith, it is impossible to please Him." So, get in the flesh we know doesn't please Him, but what do we know now from this verse that does please Him? Faith. 
Okay, now come over to Galatians 5. In verse 6, we know this verse. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. And that word availeth in the Greek means no benefit. It has no benefit. Neither circumcision has benefit, nor uncircumcision has benefit in Jesus Christ. But what? Faith which works by love. So, whether you're doing your religious checklist... That's what circumcision is. You're trying to do the Ten Commandments and do all the stuff that you know you're supposed to do. Or you don't do nothing. Neither of those things has any benefit with Jesus, but only what? And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But I know if I get in the flesh, I'm not pleasing Him. Right? Alright, so flip over one page to Galatians 6. In verse 15, well, does this sound familiar? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but... A new creature. So, here we go again. He says the same thing. Isn't this the same equation that he used with faith? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything in Christ but faith. Isn't that what he said in Galatians 5, 6? Mm-hmm. Now I flip over to Galatians 6, 15. He said, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything in Christ but a new creature. So, if all my algebra students, if uncircumcision <coughs> plus Circumcision equals no good equals faith. Circumcision and no circumcision equals no good equals new creature. Would new creature equal faith? Could you operate in faith unless you're operating as a new creature? No, you can't really. And that goes along with, if you're in the flesh, you can't please Him. And what's the opposite of being in the flesh is being in the spirit. And where your spirit is the part of you that makes you a new creature. So the only way that you're going to please God is that you grow up spiritually and stop walking in the flesh. The only way you could actually have your faith work. Now, see, right now I'm talking. We're starting to, here comes the condemnation. I can start feeling it already. We're starting to feel, mm, you know? Well, let's just keep reading. He said in verse 16, As many as walk according to this rule, it actually says in the Greek, within these boundaries. As many as walk within these boundaries. Now, what's the boundaries? He laid out the boundaries. Here, we want you to walk as a new creature, or spiritual. Be dominated by your spirit, right? Here's the boundaries on this road that we're going down is circumcision, which is your religious checklist in that one ditch. And then the other ditch is not circumcision. We do nothing. So here's the two ditches that Christians drive down. They, they end up spending all their time on their road to try and please God in one ditch or the other, and they never keep it between the boundaries, which Paul just said to do. We'll spend all our time. What we'll do is, whew, I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever. And then we, it says, don't use this liberty as an occasion to the flesh. And so we get in the ditch and we do nothing. We finally got free of all that religious bondage. Well, what happens is you start eating Oreos, and you found out that this isn't working real good, and then guilt will come. So in order to assuage your guilt... You'll jack the wheel of the car, go all the way across the new creature highway, and into the other ditch of religious checklist. Because now I'm going to try and assuage my guilt. So now I'm going to do all this. I won't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with those who do. And I'll do. I'll pray every day for an hour and have my quiet time and come to church. And I'll work in the nursery. And I'll do, we do that one. Then we stay there for a while and we find out it didn't assuage our guilt because guess what? You're still in the flesh. Those two boundaries is carnal-minded. Both sides is a carnal mindset. 
talked about a spiritual mindset last week. This way on carnal mindset, you'll be there in this ditch of doing your checklist, religious checklist, or you'll whip it and come in this ditch and do nothing. I mean, either of those is still death. Do you all follow me? And we spend most of our time going from ditch to ditch, to ditch to ditch. Paul said, hey, smooth out the ride and let's just keep it right down the center. Let's get spiritual. Because both of those two things, there's no benefit to either of them. And so we'll whip back and forth. Y'all following that? It's starting to make a little more sense how we can stay out of the flesh, stay in faith, and we can please God. You know why God, see, we think, oh, God's disappointed with us if we don't please Him. No. What He's saying is, is that I'm really, really happy when you do good. That's what you heard that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's turning around. My strength is what gives God joy. So He is pleased when I'm not in this ditch and I'm not in that ditch. He likes it. How many, anybody have teenagers driving? How many know you don't want them in either of the ditches when they start learning how to drive? Aren't you pleased with them when they keep it in the middle of the road? Some of us adults be pleased with, you know. I'm glad, you know. All right, so that's, that's the picture now. It's not that he's disappointed in your behavior and throwing a guilt trip on you. Is that, man, that's my, that's my boy, that's my girl. Did you see how good they drove? They kept it out of the ditch. You understand? So how, but now, in order to... Real, and well, let's finish this out because I'll probably never get back to this verse. Who knows when? He said, but as many as walk according to this rule, if you keep it in those boundaries between those two ditches, walk as a new creature. He said, peace, which is the word prosperity, be on you. And mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Now, did he say upon the people of Israel? Did he say upon God's people? He said the Israel of God. Do you all remember what Israel means? Do you remember when Jacob was wrestling and he had, let's just look at it. Genesis 32. When Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Genesis 32 and verse 28. That's where he was wrestling. He wouldn't let go of, of where it was pre-incarnate Jesus. He wouldn't let go of him until he blessed him. And he, remember, they're wrestling. And in verse 27, is, Jesus says, And what's your name? And he said, Jacob. In verse 28, and he said, Now nah, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. And he says what it means. For as a prince... Hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed? And actually, the actual literal translation of Israel means he who rules as God. Now listen to this. Back in Galatians, he says, you keep it between those two ditches. And you, because, you know, doing your checklist and not doing nothing, neither of those things has benefit, but acting as a new creature, keep it between those ditches. He said, you'll be the Israel of God. You will rule as God of God. Who... Who was the first being that wanted to rule as God? It was Satan. It was Lucifer. That's why he can't stand you, because God picked you to be the Israel of God, the prince that has power with him and men and will prevail. He picked you to rule as him. Y'all following this? That's why Satan can't stand your guts, because he's the one that wanted that job. He wasn't created for that job. You and me, we were created for that job. But the way that we get there is to keep it between these two boundaries. We don't do our checklist and we don't do... No, 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 no. Let's keep it in the middle of the road. New creature. Let's grow up spiritually. Y'all follow that? Now, the reason that we have so much problem with guilt... Because we've got to undo some serious long-term thinking. I mean long-term thinking. 
because we're going to go over the manifest works of the flesh. What happens when we do end up in the flesh and what that death looks like. And what it will do is expose areas in our life where we have a carnal mindset. Some areas we have a spiritual mindset. There's other areas we have a carnal mindset. I ain't trying to be hard hitting, but if we don't get this religious thinking squared away, it will destroy us instead of push us on to being the Israel of God. We don't want to do that. All right, so listen. Do you understand that there's a difference between being born again and being saved? Because we've talked about that before. But even in word churches, I still see people, oh, they're saved folks. Or do you ever say this? Yeah, you know, the joy of my salvation. Do you ever say, oh, I just love, man, I'm, I'm so glad I'm saved. Saved from what? See, what is it that we're saved? When we say we're saved, do you know the Bible talks about salvation and being saved about 20 times more than it talks about being born again? About being born, let's, see, let's count up the references to being born again. Jesus talks about it once in John 3. First time we ever heard about it. Then he mentions the word regeneration, which means the rebirth once. Peter talks about being born again once. Paul says the word regeneration or rebirth once. And he talks about new creature twice. That's six times. First John, he talks about being born of God about five times. That's about maybe a dozen Salvation and saved, those two words, probably about two or three hundred times in the Bible. Now, riddle me this, Batman. Did salvation, was salvation available in the Old Testament? Absolutely it was. Sure it was. Turn to Psalm 27. Being born again was not available in the Old Testament. Salvation was available from the beginning of time. Psalm 27, the very first verse says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. When was Psalms written? Old Testament or new? Yeah, real old. Did you all follow that? Because salvation and being saved means to be rescued or delivered has nothing to do with being born again. Was there anybody that was... Okay, so if salvation was available in the Old Testament, was there anybody that wasn't born again that got saved? Absolutely. They counted on it. But religious teaching has rolled it all into one. And we don't even talk about being born again or a new creature and if we use the word spiritual, it usually means somebody that's doing that checklist in the one ditch, doesn't it? That's carnal. That's carnal. If you're doing your checklist, you're carnal. If you're doing nothing, you're carnal. If you're growing up spiritually because you got born again, you were born spiritually and you're growing, and now I'm able to talk and I got food and now I'm exercising and I'm mature, I'm a full. Now, now you're spiritual. So, all these people that pretend to be spiritual because they're doing the checklist? Not. Nah. Okay? They're just as carnal as people that are doing absolutely nothing. Okay? Now, because that being saved, saved, rescued, if you're once saved, are you always saved? I need rescue in every cotton picking day, people. Now, here's the thing when I was a lifeguard in Hawaii, There'd be some guy from, well, we'll just say Michigan, because that's who the one I'm thinking of was. 
playing out there. Woo, these waves are so nuts. Now, he's on the Great Lakes. He ain't never seen waves like that before. Next thing you know, he gets sucked out. He's in over his head, and we got to go rescue him. I saved him from Pyramid Rock Beach. Brought him back in. Now, once he's saved, is he always saved? Unless that dope goes, which he didn't, because the next day, oh, this is so fun, I had to go save him again from the very same thing. Did you follow me? When we grow up spiritually, what we're trying... Now, if he had got some training and development on how the oceans are different than the Great Lakes, I might not have had to save him for doing the exact same thing. That's what God... When you, God will save you from something. Do you... I mean, really. This is a sign that you're not growing up. As if he's got to keep saving you from the same thing over and over again. You, you find the same... You're in the same problem. And you're in the same... Say, Okay, now you you got to understand. Now I'm carnal. You're being carnal. You're not acting as a new creature because a new creature would grow up and not make that one mistake again. Find out where I missed it. Do a self-assessment. Find out what decision I made was bad and don't do that one again. Don't get feel guilty over it. Well, what we do is we feel guilty over it and then we go, instead of doing the assessment, figuring out where we made the mistake, we feel guilty over it and then just repeat the behavior. And then feel more guilty about it. And then more guilt and repeat the behavior. Instead of growing up spiritually. You following this? So is guilt coming from God? No, No, he's the one throwing you the lifeline every time. Here we go again. Here we go again. Throw him another one. Whoa, running out of ring buoys. Okay? That's being saved. Being born again until you're aware. See, I don't really care if somebody's saved or not. Even when I was a kid, it just I don't know why. Just on the inside. Are you born again? And I was never really taught that. Just something on the inside. I don't know what it was. But because everybody said they're saved. I knew a lot of people. You could be saved and not be born again. Even now, today. Because it says in Romans, it says, Anybody that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that mean you're born again? No. no. I know people that are in the jam. You know, we're in a tight spot. We're in a tight spot. We're in a tight Kimmy calls the old, well, I'll say, cra- old crap God. Do you know what I mean? We only go to God when it's, oh, it hit the fan. And then they go, Lord Jesus, help me. Do you know He will? Did that mean they're born again? No. And you know, and they'll try and cut a deal and I'll go to them. They don't keep the deal. And then God, but God will get them out of it. That's why you know the word will work for anybody. That's why it says, Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be removed, it will do it. It didn't say just people who were born again or people that were saved. Quote, quote, anybody that uses the word, that speaks the word, it'll work. That's why how you can have where people were, you know, said over in Matthew 7 where Jesus said, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. But we prophesied, but we did miracles, we did healings. Yup, but I don't know you. You're not born again. Bye. Because people can be saved and not be born again. Now, the reason that we have rolled it all in together in one is uh, uh, I was talking to Jennings about this uh, a couple weeks ago, and then Cheryl and I were talking about this week on the phone. Constantine, he was, a, he was one of the guys that was trying to take over as emperor of Rome, okay? There were six guys trying to be the emperor at that time. He was one of the six, like Survivor, on steroids. All these other guys, they had their pagan god, this god, that god. Well, Constantine is trying to figure out, well, what, well, which god should I use? And then it came to him. Half of his kingdom, who had been persecuted mercilessly, was Christians. 
This is 300 years into the church's, 308, 300 years since Jesus died. Persecution after persecution, the church is growing. So he makes a political calculation. I'll be Christian. He does this little cross thing, they go in, and he stops all persecution under his little domain. Now, if you're a Christian and you're getting fed to the lions and all of a sudden the guy who's in charge, the president, likes you, and not only that, he'll make you part of his cabinet, wants to know what you think about stuff, and may help me make policy decisions. Boy, this sounds an awful familiar strain to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we'll put you, you know, in positions of authority, and you can, you know, we'll call you every week for our policy discussion. And so what he did was, instead of persecuting the church, he merged the church and state. He made a political move, and now the church, he was still, and, then he, and he won. He beat out all the other six guys. Now, you know, the Christians are happy. I'm not getting fed to the lions anymore. Mm-hmm. They gave us back all our lands and our properties. Now, man, it's big. Now, you know, I'm in the, you could be appointed senator or, you know, a cabinet member. And, it, and if you were in the clergy, whew, not only that, he was giving poor people 20 pieces of silver if they converted to Christianity from paganism. So, if I'm poor, excuse me, if I'm poor, that's that cough drop. If I'm poor and somebody's offering me 20 pieces of gold to stop worshiping that goof sack over here made with hands and just say that I'm a Christian, I'm there. Now, this guy was also in charge of all the pagan. He was called Pontifus Maximus. He's the high priest of all the pagan religions. At the same time, he was making, he was the head of the church, quote unquote. He never got born again. Did he get saved? Sure he did. He won. He got out of his battle. At that point, he started manipulating, because how many know all the clergy, the bishops, in order to stay in power and keep his ear and have influence and get ahead? They needed to do what he said and keep his favor, right? Anybody going to tell that guy, hey, dude, you didn't get born again? You ain't got to go in there and tell them that, are you? Man, I'm just happy I ain't getting fed to the lions now. So what we had was a merger of church and state. Which is funny, because right now, the church is screaming about, well, what's the Constitution say? Who gives a flip what the Constitution say? What's the Bible say? Mm-hmm. The Bible said that's the kingdom of this world. Don't mess with it. So what we have now because it started way back then, 1,700 years ago. Is that right? About 1,700 years ago. We started mixing politics with faith instead of now, you know, your spirit being dominant. It's a behavior checklist that we manipulate you into doing what our political agenda is. That's how we measure your faith now. And it's still going on today. Whatever your hot button issues are, then we'll decide whether you're a, quote, Christian or not. Not whether you're born again or not. What do you think about gay marriage? Do you really care? Is it go- I'm not going to go marry a man. Do you understand? People are like, you're all up in arms about abortion. Did you know that Jesus, really, his birth started the biggest slaughter of babies on the planet? Did God stop it then? No, in fact, you could almost argue God caused it. 
by having the wise men show up to Herod and letting the wise men know that Jesus was two years old and under. So now Herod's killing every baby that's two years old and under in the kingdom. So Jesus, Joseph and Mary, they all run down to Egypt so that they're saved. You say God couldn't unloose all those angels that were talking to the, you know, singing to the shepherds and stop that killing? Couldn't he have? Why are you so bent out of shape? You see what I'm saying? What we've done, and that's why you're still in guilt over stuff that you do, is because we don't realize the difference between being saved and being born again. We're manipulated with behavior, and that's what ministers have been doing ever since. This, was, this happened in this church. When I took the bands off, the bondage was broken over tithing. We were all in the one ditch that we had to tithe or God wouldn't like us. When I let you know that we didn't, the wheel was jerked and everybody went to the other ditch and did nothing. You understand? We didn't do nothing. And that's what happens when, when we're set at liberty after we've been under this bondage. Now, the church has been under bondage for 1,700 years with this salvation and saved business. And no clue about born again. There's some pockets of it. But even the people that do have some kind of revelation of them, some light on it, still playing and dabbling in the political stuff. And still manipulating people with behavior, with, with phrases like, sow me your seed and I'll sow it again and it'll be a twice sown seed. You ever plant corn twice? If you planted corn once, could you plant it again without digging it up? No. So, see what I'm saying? So we're still manipulating people and it was stuff that started way back when in 300 A.D. That's why you feel guilty because you have 1,700 years of this kind of thinking down from generation to generation. And the sins of the Father are carried down. You understand? Because they're the ones that shaped how you think when you were born. And their thinking was shaped by somebody another generation ago and another one back and another one back. And how many years has this thing been twisted? Why? Because Satan, if he can keep you from keeping between the two barricades, those two boundaries... And being a new creature, he can keep you from being the Israel of God, standing up and reigning. You all following me? Now look over here in Psalm 51. Now, I got filled with the Holy Ghost when I was 19 years old. I was a Bob Jones Baptist kid. Now that's a dangerous combination. You're Bob Jones Baptist kid, you don't know nothing, but you got filled with the Holy Ghost. So I really, I knew nothing, okay? Except that, man, I love God. We're in this youth group where I met Kimmy, and we used to sing this song. Psalm 51 and verse 10. And, and this is what David wrote. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Y'all ever sing that song? Y'all know it? Create in me a clean heart, O God. I would bawl, oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. That's stupid. Was David born again when he wrote this? He couldn't be. Was he saved? Uh-huh. That's why he's talking about restore the joy of my salvation. I like it when you pull my hiney out of the fire, God. Right now, because when he wrote this was after, you know, he slept with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. You know, it don't get much more carnal than that. Does it? Okay. Look what he said. Now understand the difference between being saved and born again. Create in me a clean heart. He's, he is looking forward to the day where he can be born again because your heart's your spirit. His spirit is dead. He doesn't have one. Remember when Adam sinned? He became a living 
soul, a two-part being. And then he says what? Renew a right spirit within me. Why? Because the one I had is dead, and I really, really want the new one. He's looking forward to being born again. It's not available to him. Then he says this, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Under the old covenant, since nobody was born again, was the Spirit in them or on them? I mean, the Holy Spirit could go here, and He would go there, and He would go on somebody else. You know, now, the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever leave you. Watch this over here in John 14. It's impossible for Him. Remember when I said this a long time ago? Anybody who's been born, can you be unborn? And if you've been born again, can you be unborn again? You've been born of the Spirit, you can't be unborn of the Spirit. John 14, 16. Now, we just read this same verse about talking about perceiving. And I'll pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you when? For how long? And who is that, who is that Comforter? Even the Spirit of truth. Once you're born of the Spirit, you're stuck. You understand? You can't get rid of God for nothing. It's too late. It's a done deal. And I've heard people say, well, yeah, but you could renounce. No, you can't renounce any. You can renounce all you want, but it doesn't matter because once you've been born, you can't be unborn. You can renounce the day of your birth all you want. You ain't going anywhere. You could cuss your mama and your father. You ain't going anywhere. Can you like get back in the chute and back up through the, you know, and, and oh, the water broke, let's put that back together and shrink back down to an embryo. and No! Now, because, now I want to hammer this home because we're trying to bust this whole stupid guilt thinking. Look over here in 1 Corinthians 6. Because now we're talking about being born again. And when you understand that you're born again and not just saved, because saved people live in this ditch and then they go to that ditch. Then they go to this ditch and then they go to that ditch. When you understand, no, wait, I'm a new creature. Wait, I'm born of the Spirit. Then you can stay on the middle of the road. What's it say in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17? But he that is joined unto the Lord is what? One Spirit. Once your Spirit, you're born of the Spirit, once it, what happens is the Spirit of God mixes with your human spirit, it's over. You understand? Once it's mixed together. You ever put creamer in your coffee? Can you get the creamer out? It's over. It's still coffee, ain't it? Yeah. Once you're joined to the Lord, it's too late for you. I don't care. What, now listen. Don't, don't listen to what I'm telling you because you don't take this and go from one ditch to the other ditch with this. I'm trying to teach you how to keep on the center of the road. It don't matter what you do or you don't do. Once you've been born again, you can't be unborn. God doesn't love you any less. He doesn't think of you any less. In fact, you're the apple of His eye. You're his very own baby boy or baby girl. That can never, ever change. It don't matter what you do or you don't do. You could take your pack off and sit down and it's over. You understand? Now, 2 Corinthians 5. Man, running out of time. 
2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. All things are of God. I don't have time to get into all that. But he's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, who has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, or that is, that God was in Christ reconciling who? The world unto himself, not imputing or accrediting to their account their trespasses unto them. Now, did you read that? Does God hold anything against the world? If he doesn't hold one thing against the world, why do you feel guilty when you don't line up with the word? Why? And you think God ain't happy with you. If he doesn't hold anything against the world, do you think he's holding against something against you? Absolutely not. Hold your finger right there in Matthew 1. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Was he saving them from hell? Saving them from what? And what sin? When you miss the mark and you don't share in the... And so what's he here to rescue you from? Anytime that you miss the mark. If he doesn't hold it against the world, and his whole purpose that he showed up was to save you, rescue you from when you miss the mark, why are we beating ourselves up when we miss the mark? Why do you feel guilty when you miss the mark? And then we're afraid to go even talk to God. Because you know he's not pleased with us. He's disappointed. No. You're his baby. He loves you. He don't hold nothing against the world. But you're the apple of his eye. He came to rescue you from your sin. Why would you back away from him when you miss the mark? Anytime you miss the mark, man, you come running home to daddy because you know what? He's going to fix it. Do you all understand? Go back to 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 21 says this, For he hath made him... To be sin for us. Listen. He didn't pay for your sin. He became your sin. Why? That we be made the righteousness of God in Him. Don't be afraid to say you're righteous. Jesus was made every time that you made a mistake, every time that you missed the mark, He became that so that you could have right standing with God, have equity with God, have all the riches, honor, and life of God, that you walk right in there. That's God. That's my daddy. Don't you feel guilty about it? Because you know what? Who's that hurt? If you feel guilty and you back away because you don't think God's pleased with you, is that going to change God's day any, really? He ain't mad at you. 
If He was, why would He send Jesus to come get you? Do you understand? Doing the checklist or not doing the checklist, there's no benefit in that. The benefit is when you grow up spiritually, to do that, you've got to stay out of the ditches. The only reason you're in the ditches is because you're feeling guilty about something. Or, and then you can't handle the bondage of doing that to try and assuage the guilt, so then you whip it back over here, and then you get back into the flesh, and then you miss the mark, and then you come back over here to try and assuage the guilt, and you're still missing the mark, and you, and you just, now that isn't working, and so then you go back over here, and that ain't. And God's in neither of those places. He wants only the best for you. He gets a kick out of when you're in a position of strength. He's not disciplined. Do you think that he didn't know when you were going to mess up? You, anybody who has kids, you, ever, you know, when they first started walking, didn't you know that they were going to fall? Were you disappointed that they didn't just walk, run a marathon as soon as they got out of their pampers? Anybody? If you were, you're stupid. There's nothing that's taking God by surprise. In fact, he knew about it already because he made Jesus not just pay for it, he made Jesus become the mistake. That's how precious you are to Him. You beat yourself up over nothing. You understand? There's no condemnation. None. The only time you're in condemnation is because you have a carnal mindset. If you're feeling guilt, bingo, wait a minute, this ain't spiritual thinking. This is not a spiritual mindset. Y'all still look at me like, well, I don't know, Andrew. Alright, come over here to Hebrews 10. While you're going, I'm going to read you Hebrews 1. You go to Hebrews 10, I'll read Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of the person of the Father and upholding all things by the Word and His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. You know what purging is? You ever been on like a commercial flight when they had too much uh, fuel to make a landing and they had to purge the tanks? What they do is they dump weight. So they open up the fuel tanks and they purge fuel out of it over the ocean somewhere. Can you get it back after it's gone? Alright, so he purged all your sins. Gone. But I know you're still not believing me because this, you know why? Because we have 1,700 years of people manipulating us for their own personal political gain. And really, the church in the last 1,700 years, what a waste of time. It's amazing God got anything done. Seriously. And we're in the same state. We're in the exact same state 1,700 years later as it was when Constantine took over the whole thing. Wait, I've had people leave this church because what I'm about to tell them, they just couldn't believe. They couldn't believe. Well, why would God be that good to me? You mean I don't have to do anything to make Him like me better? No, nothing. He wants me to be rich. Yeah. And not be sick. Uh huh. Why would God want that for me? You don't know what I've done. It don't matter what you've done. Because whatever you've done, Jesus became it. Alright, let's read this because we're running out of time, but I've got to get through this. Because I'm uh, set us free today. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> Hebrews 10 and verse 12. But this man, this is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for how long? 
There's not one thing that you can do to change that. Do you understand? There's nothing you can do. The sacrifice for sins has already been made forever. Anytime that you miss the mark, the price has already been paid. Do you understand? If my mortgage was paid, you know, and I keep trying to send money to the bank, they'll probably take it. But it ain't going to change the house being mine any more or any less, is it? The only thing that's stupid is I'm losing money. With sins. Price has already been paid. You doing a checklist or not doing it, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do to assuage that guilt, you're just losing effort and whatever, resources, because it's already been paid. You ain't making God any happier. Why? Because he's already accepted Jesus' sacrifice. He ain't going to accept whatever little piddly thing you do. If Jesus, right, on the cross, became whatever your mistake was, and then he went into hell. Do you remember that when he was born again in reverse? Went into hell. And that was the payment, because the wages of sin is what? It's spiritual death, not physical death. It's spiritual death, although you will die physically. That's after the fact. Remember, Adam died spiritually first. So the only payment that you could make for your sin is spiritual death. So what are you doing your checklist for? Unless you're going to jump down into hell and die spiritually, whatever you're doing ain't going to be enough. Dumplings. Do you follow that? So don't waste your time. It ain't going to be enough. Praying and out and making sure you do your quiet time. It's nothing. It's a joke compared to Jesus being in hell, isn't it? Alright, so why are you doing it? Okay? Now, wait a minute, don't go in the other ditch. Alright, here we go. Verse 12. Made sacrifice, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Why is he expecting? Who's going to make his enemies his footstool? We are. We're the Israels of God. He's sitting down up there waiting for, hey guys, you want to pull up that ottoman? I want that Satan-skinned ottoman, thanks. For by one offering he has what? Perfected for how long? Forever them that are sanctified. Say that's me. That's somebody who's born again. So when God looks at you, you are already perfected. You understand? There's not one flaw. Not one. Not one. Not all one. Not even a hangnail. Not a zit. Right? Not even like gray hair. Yeah. When God looks at me, I got a six pack. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said, This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I'll write them, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. You're over here trying to do a checklist to take care of assuage some guilt so God will like you better. And he's like, well, what are you doing again? For that thing I did. What thing? You know when I blah, blah, blah? No, I don't remember that. Remember when I ate that whole box of Oreos, God? No. You know when I put peanut butter on it? Uh-uh. And I had frosty milk too? No, I don't remember that. You were standing right there. It says I can't go anywhere without you knowing everything that I do. Yeah, but I don't remember it. God don't remember when you missed the mark. 
And he says iniquities. He doesn't remember when you were expecting evil. Because remember what iniquity is? It's a predisposition. You think of the worst thing that could happen. He don't remember that either. So not only does he not remember, he don't remember your actions, he don't remember your naughty thoughts. <laughs> Did you fall on it? He don't remember none of that. Well, you know, God, I had that bad thought the other day. I don't remember that. Some of y'all be beating yourself up over like thoughts that you had. All right, let's keep reading. He said, now where there is remission or payment, y'all ever get a bill that says remit this amount? That's what it is. Well, there's a remission of these. There's payment for these. There is no more offering for sin. There's nothing that you could do to fix it. Why? Because it's already been paid in full. <laughs> yeah. And listen, Jesus took, when he was on the cross, man, we're great because we're on this side of it. David, he had to look ahead to it and say, boy, God, I sure can't wait till the time where I could have a clean heart. Now we got one and we're spending all our time in guilt and condemnation and not doing nothing with it. Man, he was like, man, I'd give my left arm to have like a clean heart. Now we got one and we've been snookered out of it 1,700 years ago. Why? Because people manipulate us and it's all about behavior. Now our faith, the Christian faith, is all about a behavior checklist. And it's all about manipulating behavior and trying to change behavior. I said, stay out of them two ditches, guys. Just grow up and be spiritual. Just be dominated by your spirit. Because when you are, all the behaviors will line up where they're supposed to. So instead of trying to fix habits and fix addictions, why don't you just fix the inside and grow up spiritually and then all that stuff will just fall away. Okay? Alright, so he don't remember anything that you did bad and you're going to go up there and try and tell him what you did bad because you know we've got to confess our sins. If you don't confess them, he's not going to, you know. Isn't that right? You're going to go up there and confess them, he's going to be like, What? And now you're and then people are like, I don't know, I'll get to it. Don't I always untangle it in the end? <laughs> Having therefore, brethren, verse 19, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We don't go in there bold because we're feeling guilty and I don't know. No, he said, listen, payment has already been made and he don't remember you did anything wrong. It almost feels like, you know, you had a party while mom and dad were on vacation. They don't know about it, and so you're trying to play it off. Hey, what's up, mom and daddy? I'll just act like cool, like nothing happened. They'll never know. That's how God's telling you to act. Boldly come in there like nothing happened, because I don't remember it anyway. Y'all following this? I'm just reading the Bible. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that's his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. So that's your spirit. You understand? Spirit. In what? Full assurance. Full assurance of faith. And no doubt, no condemnation, no guilt, no nothing. Full assurance. When I walk in there, he's going to be like, baby, I'm so glad you're home. Not how come you're five minutes past curfew. See, that's... You know why we have that idea of God? Because we've been taught that for the last 1,700 years. The church. Man, he called us out from that. That's what church means. It means called out. The world does that. But we're peculiar. You're peculiar? Yeah, we're peculiar. In that my daddy, he don't get mad when I do anything. He don't get mad. I can do whatever I want. He spoils you. You understand? So people, we're going to... 
People be like, oh, Andrew, this is contradictory. It's not contradictory. I'm trying to keep you between the two boundaries. God sets up markers. Remember, we're going to keep it on the rope. We're not going to do the checklist and we're not going to do nothing. What we're going to do is be spiritual. Dominated by our spirit. Alright. Hear from God for ourselves. So our heart is full assurance of faith. Having our heart sprinkled from a what? says evil conscience, that Greek word, it means guilty conscience. Why? Can, see, because you didn't believe it. It says it right here. Why can we go in there with a heart full assurance of faith? Because our hearts have been sprinkled from an, a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water of the Word. He's already You should go in there with no guilty conscience. He's already paid the price for it. There's no reason for you to feel guilty about it. Now look. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to what? Provoke. Oh, and let's see where we're picking up. Provoke one another. Anger them. Offend them. To what? Love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging them, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Now watch. It turns south all of a sudden. If you think of a religious mind... This is it. Oh, what happened? Buckle up, because I'm going to fix this. Because he says this, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no more sacrifice, or remains no more sacrifice for sins. <laughs> Wait a minute, Andrew. You just told me that he don't remember nothing. Now you said it doesn't matter what I did, that it didn't sneak up on him, that he was made every mistake that I made, that Jesus became that mistake and paid the price for that mistake, and God don't remember it anymore. And there's no more sacrifice for that. It's over. The payment is made in full. Isn't that what I just told you? Now we get to this and it says, and if you sin willfully after you receive the truth, there remains no more sacrifice of sins. That's the exact opposite, isn't it? You know, for years I was, Bob Jones Baptist boy, but they love this verse. You know why they love this verse? Constantine's boys love this verse because then I can tell you whatever the truth is and make you line up with it every time I just whoop this verse out whenever you're not doing what I think you should be doing and get you back in line. You know you know the truth about tithing. You better open up them checkbooks or else you know what? There remains no more sacrifice for sins. You see how quick that was? That's not what he's saying. In the Greek it says that you leave behind. It doesn't say there remains no more sacrifice for sins. It says you leave behind the sacrifice of sin. If you sin willfully, this is what will happen. Remember repentance to the rear march? You're repenting in the wrong direction. If you, if you know that healing belongs to you and you willfully just decide, well, I'm just going to be sick. I know that's stupid, but I want to make it innocuous as possible. I know that Oreos are bad for me. They're fat pucks. But I'm going to eat them anyway. After I know that they're really bad for me. Well, I did. I said, to the rear march from the truth of that. And I, what I'm walking away from the sacrifice of sin. It's still there. That remains no more. That's just, you know what that is? It's, and this was in 1611. So they had like 400, how many, 1200 years or whatever. Of this bad thing. I don't know. Do the math. It's not good. It's been going on a long time. And the more modern translations, they even get more religious. They water it down even more. The further we go on to this, the more twisted it becomes. What happened is, you just walked away from the sacrifice of sin. It's still there. It doesn't matter if you did or you didn't. It's already paid for. But what you did is, in your own mind, you walked away from it. Now what's going to happen? So you know the truth. You walked away from that sacrifice, and so now you start to feel guilty. 
that's carnally minded, you're in the ditch now. Because a spiritually minded person, and I'm going to get to that, we read down this chapter, will know that, wait a minute, that's carnal thinking. My sin's already been paid for. Because what hell will do to take you out is, well, you already knew the truth, and you know, they'll pull out this verse on you. No, all that happened was you left it behind. So what do you got to do? Just turn around. Hey, there, hey, there it is. You, you understand? Not a checklist, not a swage guilt. Just turn around. It's right there. Now, and I'll show you. This is the thought. Paul writes out our thought process. It's so, here it is. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there we leave behind the sacrifice for sin. Just circle that remaineth no. That's what it says in the Greek. You leave behind the sacrifice of sins. Cross out remaineth no. It does remain. But what do we turn to? A certain fearful looking for. That word in the Greek is expecting. That's the same thing as looking for. What happens when you do that is you start looking for fearfully what? Judgment and fiery indignation. Which shall devour who? The adversaries will devour you. Will fiery judgment devour you? Who's it going to devour? The adversaries. That's so. But you know what? Because you willfully sin, this is the thought process. Here comes guilt. Here comes hell, telling you that you you left sacrifice for sin back there. Now you start fearfully looking for judgment and fiery indignation. It ain't for you. It's for the adversaries. You're his baby. You understand? All you're doing now is now you're ducking and hiding from God. He ain't looking for you. And, and this is the thought process. Because you know the person that despised or disesteemed Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And how much sore do you suppose the punishment shall be thought worthy of someone who's trodden underfoot the Son of God, who's counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and has done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know, you know this, you know him, that he that vengeance, he said this vengeance belongs unto me, said the Lord, and I'll repent. I'll recompense. I'll pay him again. Right? And the Lord shall judge his people. And it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. That's what you think. When you, when you sin willfully, you leave sacrifice for sins behind. This is what your thought process is. Is it not? Yeah. And what's he say? I don't do that. But what? Instead of thinking that, that's what the word but means, right? Don't go there, but do this. Don't expect that because it was, he was, you were looking for it. Isn't that what it said? He didn't say it was coming. He said, you're looking for it. That's what it says, isn't it? You never heard that before, have you? Nah, they skipped over that part, didn't they? Because I want you to puppet master. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. I am boss. Right? He said, don't do that, but do what? Call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated when you first got the truth and you endured a great affliction of fight. Recall past victories. You know what? All right, I blew this one. I am God's baby boy. And you remember that time when I won there, and I won there, and I won there, and I won there. And if I didn't remember that time, did you remember this time? And I won there, and I won there. Don't you be looking for fearful judgment. He said, don't do that. And, what's it say? Partly while you were made a gazing stock by both reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them or used as so. If you run out of past victories on yourself, think of all the other past victories of your friends. Remember that time when they were? Because that was my friend. I remember that time they had victory, and that time they had victory, and that time they had victory. Not looking for fearful judgment and, oh, fiery indignation, and, oh, God doesn't like me. 
Jesus became that sin. He already paid for it. Nothing you can undo. You can't undo it. He who is joined to the Lord is what? One Spirit. Don't you let anybody manipulate you and guilt you into nothing, including yourself. Do you understand? Because the only reason that you don't have confidence and full assurance is because your own self is condemning us. It says over here in 1 John 3. Hold your finger right there. We'll come right back. 1 John 3. Verse 19. It says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before Him. But if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence towards God. So you'll lose your confidence if you're condemning yourself. Don't ever do that again. Do you hear me? I don't care how big and how bad the mistake was. Jesus became it. God, it ain't surprised Him. He knew it when Jesus was on the cross and Jesus became that mistake and it's already paid for. You can't do anything to fix it. It's already paid for. So don't be looking for fiery judgment. It ain't coming. Most Christians will spend the most of their life doing that in these ditches. I'm looking for judgment, so I better get back over here in the other ditch and start doing my checklist. Maybe that'll hold back the lightning from God. <laughs> then you'll do that for a while and you'll find out nothing's really changed in your life. Except now I'm in bondage again. Just a different kind of bondage. What was that? There was a Vince Gill song where he was like going out with a worldly chick and then he broke up with her and married a preacher's daughter. And she, he saw the worldly chick and she said, Does she make you laugh? He said, No, but she don't make me cry. Just describe both of those people in those ditches. People doing their checklist, they won't make you cry, but they don't make you laugh either. Just people over here, you know, and they're in the other ditch where they're just, woohoo, party, liberty. They'll make you laugh and then they'll make you cry because they don't have to think twice about mud sucking you. you. Don't beat yourself up. Don't get in either of those two ditches. You don't want to be either of them people. All right, so let's get back over here. He said, for you had compassion, and Paul said, and if you can't remember anything else, remember that you had compassion on me and my bonds, and you took joyful the spoiling of your goods, knowing that yourselves, that you had in heaven a more and better and more enduring substance. He said, you can't remember anything. Remember the time that you gave me money to my ministry? If you can't remember past victories of yourself, and you can't remember any past victories of your friend, remember that you did good for the gospel somewhere when you gave me some money to in, in, and increase the kingdom. That was kingdom business. If you can't remember anything that, then remember that. Remember that you helped kingdom business. And then look, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after that you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, he shall come and he won't tarry. Now the just or the righteous shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no what? Pleasure in him. So listen, I'm, here it is, I just read it to you. This is you drawing back. You willfully sinned, after you got the knowledge of the truth, now you start looking for fearful judgment. No, he says, you know what? Now you're drawn back. I really don't like that. So don't draw back. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't feel guilty. Turn around and come back this way. Because what's that look like? Oh, man, I'm so late. Can I finish? Yes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Where did the time go? All right, so this is what happens. When you find yourself in that position where you blew it, all right? What do we do? Hebrews 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 
says, for we have not a high priest. And Johnny calls him an advocate. And so I'm going to call him a defense attorney here. Because Jesus is your advocate. He's your defense attorney. So we have not a defense attorney which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses, because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He never missed the mark, but he knows what it felt like. So that's our defense attorney. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. They come to the bench, because we're coming into court, that we may obtain mercy and find grace, privileges and advantages, private law, I need immunity in time of help, in time of need. So here's what it is. Y'all ever seen that show, Boston Legal? I watched this William Shatner as Denny Crane. In the height of his career, he would just walk into the jury and say his name, and then he would get an acquittal. He'd walk in and go, Denny Crane, and not guilty. That's what he would do. Now, think of all, you know, Gloria Allred, Johnny Cochran, who are all the best defense attorneys? Think of, I mean, the meanest, nastiest, vilest ones. You know they'll get any crook off. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus is better than that. Because when we walk in there, this is what happens. Here's what this picture should look like in your head. When you missed it, you blew it. Even if you already knew better. We don't be shaking and quaking. No, what we do, right? You dust yourself off. Straighten yourself up. You walk in there with your defense attorney who's better than Johnny Cochran and the dream team of O.J. Simpson. And then he steps up to the bench and he says, Lamb of God. To the court. Lamb of God. And then God says, well, what happened? Doesn't matter. It's already paid for. What was the sentence that you would have got? Death. Roll tape. Jesus on the cross. Jesus in hell. Jesus coming up. All right, sentence. Pronounced sentence. Boof. Already paid for. Then God looks at you and says, you coming over tonight? Inquiry. And then he, Gabriel, tell the boys, Andrew's coming over. Make sure you got those Oreos and peanut butter and some frosty milk in the fridge. My boy's coming home tonight. That's what happens right after court. There's court. You walk in. Hey, Jesus, Lamb of God, case dismissed. Already paid for. You coming over tonight? You're beating yourself up over tonight. He can't wait for you to come home tonight. I mean, he's socking your favorite snack. He'll make sure it's in the fridge. Can't wait to have you at Mamma. Age is coming to happen. Huh? You've been away at college. I can't wait to get him home. You see what I'm saying? That's God's heart towards you. You're born again. You're, you have the same spirit on the inside of you that he has on the inside of him. You're one spirit. Jesus became sin to pay the price forever. Don't be thinking about fiery judgment and wrath. It ain't coming. It's not coming. It's not coming. Stay out of the ditch of checklist and we'll stay out of the ditch of doing nothing. Let's be spiritual. New creature. So we had to lay this foundation because it's going to get a little rough in here because what's going to happen is as we start getting into conscience, you're going to start seeing areas in your life where the light of the Word is going to shine on where you're being carnal-minded and you're in the flesh and it will bring death to you. God wants to help you. He's not trying to beat you up. You understand? When, when you see that, don't feel guilty about it. Don't beat yourself up over it. And don't be fear and judgment. It ain't coming. All God's trying to do is catch you back on the smooth road between the ditches to being the Israel of God, one who reigns just like Him. 
No manipulation factor, no guilt factor, no nothing. And this is hard to break out of. We're, man, we're in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. This is game central for manipulating people with religious thinking and, and behavior checklists. And we will we'll judge your faith by your political stance. Oh, I know from experience. No, when I ran as a Democrat, both sides hated me. You know why? Because I didn't ascribe to either their political issues. All I did is run everything through the filter of the word. And sometimes that lined up on this side, sometimes that lined up on that side, and sometimes it just blew them both out of the water. Because we ain't supposed to be. We're about kingdom business. You let people manipulate you and have them where we taught it for generation after generation after generation. We've got to break out of that. You're at peace with God. There's nothing that you could do that God's not happy to see you. And be like, come here, baby, get up on my lap. Nothing. Think of the vilest thing you get, and then times that times a hundred, and then add Osama bin Laden and Hitler to the mix. And it really doesn't, because you know what? Jesus became all their sin too. The only difference is they didn't accept it. You know what? They were expecting fearful fire judgment, and they got it. Because they weren't born again. You are. It ain't coming. There's no, there's no fiery judgment. In fact, I read you scripture where it says that you'll be saved by fire. What? And, because somebody has a question about this, I hate to keep going, but when I said confessing your sin, it says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and justice, forgive your sin, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That word confess means acknowledge. All you have to do is you have to acknowledge. Not for God, he don't remember it, but if you don't acknowledge where you messed up, then you're not going to go for the, the, the bullseye, are you? If you don't realize that sickness is missing the mark, you won't go for the mark. That's why he says you've got to acknowledge your sin, and I'm faithful and just. It's gone. And then he even goes one step further. He says, I'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. What's righteousness? Riches, honor, and life. So what's unrighteousness? Lack and poverty, shame and dishonor, sickness and death. I'll cleanse. What happens when you mess up and you acknowledge and you come back, you'll be like, man, I messed up. You run back here. Don't cast away your confidence. He, get, he wipes away the consequences of it. Do you understand? He will fix it better than it was in the beginning. That's when he said, whatever's meant for evil, I'll turn it for good. In your life, there's nothing. Man, don't let this stuff, don't let whatever stuff that you think that you did is keeping you from God rob you from all the stuff that we have. And it's all on our end. God wants to get it to us, but we don't think, well, I don't deserve that. Well, you know what? I don't, but he's my daddy and he's the richest cat in the universe. So bring it on and spoil me. Amen. Yeah, that's what his heart is towards you. He wants to spoil you rotten. All right. Stand your feet with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Father, we have to make conscious effort not to be fall back in the trap of guilt and manipulation and just being saved. They help us to have a real true understanding of being born again, being a new creature, and that we don't have to do anything to secure our relationship with you. It's already secure. I thank you for your love and your goodness and your tender care for each person here, Father. Thank you for it. Holy Spirit, I thank you for coming alongside us, bringing this back to our remembrance. And the time when we start to expect fiery judgment, red flag go off and be like, no, we don't do that. Jesus loves me. Lamb of God. Case closed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.